Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. And on tonight's show, I look at what I think is the best indicator for assessing whether the stock market is heading for a crash or not. I look at that pretty closely with you. And I then get Shane Oliver to give his latest uptake on what he thinks the market can do, given all the interest rate rises that we've seen um, turn up over the last week or two, and what's expected of interest rate rises going forward. Then Nerida Connersby, the chief economist at Ray White, is going to uh, give us her latest take on what's going on in house prices right now and how serious the price fall might be. Will we see a crash? Some experts are actually saying that. I don't think it will happen, but let's just see what Nerida, who's an expert in her field in the area of real estate, just see whether she thinks there's a possibility. And finally, I've got Paul Ricard to look at the banks. Are the banks still a good buy or are they going to find it really hard to go up from here? The dividend will still be good, but the share price might really find it hard because they've had great runs. Of course, Westpac and uh, ANZ have struggled. Maybe they are a buying opportunity. Paul Ricard will have a look at that. And I'll also have a look at what the analysts are saying about the potential for price increases for the banks. That's the show, so let's kick off with me looking at whether it's time to worry about a potential stock market crash. A lot of people are asking me whether they should invest right now. And I think there are a perfect storm of threats to stock markets, which explains why the Nasdaq is off 22% since November last year. S&P 500 is down 14% and the Dow 10%. So we've either had a shakeout, which is a buying opportunity, or this is the prelude to a stock market crash. Now here are the reasons to be spooked about a possible crash. Number one, the Ukraine war is forcing inflation up, slowing down global growth and hitting oil, food prices in particular. China keeps going into lockdown. And this is not good for the global growth story. It also forces up costs of imported inputs into production worldwide, as well as it makes consumer goods dearer. All this is another bad development for uh, the inflation rate, and that's already too high. Three, the Fed is set to raise interest rates by, as we saw, 4.5% this week. They did that, and they could have a lot more. This is actually making people think maybe the Fed could create a US recession. Okay, that's the mad, bad, and dangerous stuff. But we've got to start arguing the case that the past sell-off has made the overbought US market more realistically valued, and the outlook could be rosier than doomsday merchants would have it. That's, my, that's a possibility. Okay, let's look at the positives against there being a stock market sell-off of really scary proportions. The evidence suggests US inflation is peaking. US earnings are better than expected. 55% of US S&P 500 companies have reported earnings and 81.3% beat expectations versus a norm of 76%. Consensus earnings expectations for the quarter have moved up to 7.9% year-on-year, from 4.3% at the start of reporting season. AMP Capital Shane Oliver says China has seen some slowing in new COVID cases, but it is continuing to see restrictions, including in Beijing. And this could threaten Chinese growth and commodity prices and adding to global supply chain disruptions. However, its lockdowns are likely to be relatively shorter, Shane says, and the April Politburo meeting signaled more stimulus to meet its growth targets. More Chinese growth, good for the global economy, helps the stock market. And this might be optimistic, but a Ukraine peace is 
should and could happen over the next three to four or five months. And that will help bring down oil prices, boost up confidence, help the stock market and help economic growth. All those things are a possibility. And finally, these developments in total could hose down the fire, hotting up inflation, and the Fed might have to have fewer interest rate rises than they're currently expecting. That could really help the bond market bring yields down. And that makes stocks, and particularly tech stocks, more inviting because at the moment they're being sold off because they believe there's going to be lots of interest rate increases in the US, but there could be less if all those good things bring the inflation rate down faster than expected. That's a distinct possibility. And in fact, Macquarie's economist, uh, Victor Schwetz, said exactly the same thing this week. He believes that inflation will come off the boil in the second half of 2022, and that will be good for the stock market. Now, I guess the, the bottom line is, if you're a long-term investor, you can have a, uh, see this as a buying opportunity. Shane Oliver has looked at uh, the base investment case. And he says this, our base case for investment markets remains that US, global and Australian recession will be avoided over the next 18 months at least. And this will enable share markets to have a reasonable return on a 12-month horizon. And this is what I regard as a historically strong assessor of whether a stock market is on the way up or way down. It's called the city bear market checklist, which has proven to be a pretty good um, uh, assessor of whether the market's going up or down. Now, ahead of the dot-com bust in 2000, 17.5 out of their 18 indicators were flashing warning red flags, uh, which means that people should go defensive if that's the case. With the GFC, 13 out of 18 were flashing red, but we were blindsided by the ratings agencies not telling us everything about collateral debt obligations or CDOs, which were financial products based on debts most notoriously uh, linked to residential mortgages, which were sold by banks to other banks and institutional investors. It didn't pick the coronavirus crash, this particular checklist, because no one ever ex ex thought a pandemic would do something like this. But have a look at the, the, the chart now right on screen. Here it is. You can see there the various columns. You can see the 17.5 out of 18 uh, indicators were red uh, with a dot-com bust. With the GFC, it was 13 out of 18. Uh, at the peak of the market, 5.5 out of 18 were sort of saying a bear market a possibility. And right now, it's 7.5 out of 18 are saying there could be a bear market. But the interesting thing is, the team at City believe that as long as you've got 10 out of 18 um, not um, in the uh, red flag uh, category, then it's a buying opportunity. And as you can see, 7.5 are saying, you know, be careful, but a hell of a lot, I guess you'd call it 10.5, um, are saying it's still safe to go into the stock market. That's part of the reason why I'm, I'm happy to invest in uh, things like an ETF for the ASX 200 going forward. I'm not quite sure what sectors will do well. Um, I suspect the banks will be okay, but as you, you um, will see in this program later on, the banks you know, have done so well, it might be a bit foolish to expect them to really shoot the lights out. But I do think the miners will do pretty well if a global recovery follows uh, the, the slowing up of inflation. 
and the expectation that interest rate rises won't be as excessive as people have been predicting. I think there's a very good case that markets will storm back later in the year and being in something like an ETF for the ASX 200 might be a real good idea. Okay, that's my take on whether you should invest in the market or not. You might have to wait for the, the, the great returns, but I think the possibilities of a bounce back of the market are very, very real. And now let's catch up with Shane Oliver for his latest take on the markets, considering the fact that, that the market has bounced back today. Interest rates rose in the US uh, overnight by half a percent. Let's just see if he's still positive about investments. Shane couldn't make it to the studio, so we've got him on the phone. Well, joining us now from the car park at Bunnings in Belrose is the wonderful Shane Oliver. Shane, thanks for joining us. Pleasure, Peter. And you're the kind of guy who would just do economic and market analysis wherever you are, anytime, any day, and where you're a national treasure. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, we'll right try now. and do it like this. I, I, I've been watching uh, my local electorate uh, aspirant, Sophie Scops. Yeah. doing a carpool sort of karaoke thing like this. So maybe I could sort of say I'm doing something similar. I thought you were going to say you've been watching Jerry Seinfeld with comedians getting coffee in cars, but... Uh, <laughs> I haven't been doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I've been, uh, I've been uh, I researching. You, I, <laughs> researching I you, but, but I tell you what, one day I might pick you up in the car and we might actually do a, a Seinfeld uh, business version, you know, market oh, version of economists in cars, drinking coffee, talking economics. <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> All right, let's cut to the chase. People aren't watching uh, watching us for this great comedy routine. Um, the US and it wasn't increased... that great. <laughs> comedy wasn't very good. <laughs> the US increased interest rates overnight. The Fed by half a percent, but the market liked it. Can you tell us why? Well, it's the old story: sell on the rumor, buy on the fact. Sometimes it goes the other way, but yeah. uh, if the if the Fed would have been cutting, but basically it was all factored in. You know, we've been talking about a 0.5% hike in US Fed fund rates for a long time. The Fed has warned us that they're going to be hawkish, that they're going to want to bear down on inflation, get it back under control. And the Fed also told us that they'd be running down their balance sheet or doing quantitative tightening starting this month or next. So there was no real surprises in there. So consequently, the market rallied. Hmm. But Shane, you know, you know what I'm like. I always like to believe that the, 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 the positive scenario is a distinct possibility. And I think you've even pointed out that in actual fact, the, the likelihood of a positive outcome is more likely when you look at markets and things like that. And I noticed with your report last week, you pointed out that US inflation probably is peaking. True? True, I did point it out, and it probably is. You know, if you think about it, the first time we got a really bad CPI number in the US was someday in May last year. And mm. that CPI number was up something like 0.9% in the month. Now, the problem here is that to keep the CPI at 8.5% year on year, you need to replace it with an, another 0.9% monthly increase. And the recent CPI increases in the US have been somewhat less than that. So uh, I think when you look at it, you know, the peak momentum in terms of the monthly numbers was actually a year ago. Those monthly numbers will start to drop out. 
and yeah. therefore the, your year-on-year rate will gradually start to come down. Now, that, of course, that's all very technical. The more fundamental explanation is that we've we started to see some loss of momentum in commodity prices. You know, just look at the petrol price around here, and it hasn't come down just because of the excise drop. Even without the excise drop, it would have come down. Other commodity prices have come off the top a little bit. We've seen a reduction in shipping costs. And business surveys, they're still saying very elevated price levels, but they're not going up as much anymore. So all yeah. of those things suggest to me that we may be going through peak momentum and inflation. And sometime in the next six months, or maybe even the next CPI number, we'll start to see um, somewhat lower numbers. They'll still be too high. The Fed's yeah. still going to be raising interest rates, as they said overnight. But uh, that pressure on central banks may start to come off a bit through the next six months. In Australia, it might take a little bit longer because we're lagging the US. But if the US starts to roll over, then ultimately yeah. that will be good news for Australia because eventually mm. we'll start to do the same thing. Okay. I've been arguing the, the most positive scenario we could get to help the stock market do well in the second half of this year would be a settlement of the Ukraine war. Now, I've noticed over the last couple of years, you've started surveying things you never surveyed before. Infection rates, hospitalisation rates, probably the likelihood of a, of a, a vaccine, all those sort of things. That's Have right. you tried to work out the likelihood of a settlement of the Ukraine war? I have tried, and so far it hasn't worked too well. I, I thought the pressure being brought, uh, come to, coming to bear on the Russian economy, would have convinced Putin that uh, you know, he should maybe yeah. take what he can get, uh, and likewise with Ukraine. But both sides have dug in, and therefore the risk is it goes on for longer. I think what could happen there, like you can think of two scenarios. One is where things just keep intensifying, or maybe they intensify. Lately, it's sort of died down a little bit. They intensify dragging in other countries, such as Poland, and then you end up with a wider confrontation. Or alternatively, Russia just cuts the gas off to Europe. Now, in that scenario, you get more downside. The other scenario is where eventually, at some point, it becomes a bit like a frozen conflict, much like the 2014 conflict in Ukraine became where Russian separatists, or effectively Russia, got control of parts of the Donbass, um, and the world forgot about it. Um, mm. Obviously, if you're in Ukraine, that's a horrible outcome, and there's still a lot of pain to go, but you could go into that scenario in the second half of the year where markets say, now this is all bad, but it's not drawing in the rest of the world, it's not drawing in the rest of Europe, and we'll gradually move on. You know, Between now and then, we may still have a recession in Europe, but other parts of the world Will, will gradually start to move on from worrying about it, which yeah, is sort of now, my sen sen basic scenario that yeah. you, you start to see some easing in inflation pressures. You start to see some of the pressure coming off regarding Ukraine. Central banks keep hiking rates. It's painful, but we avoid a recession. Ultimately, that enables share markets to, to uh, end the year higher uh, than they probably started, even though between now and then, you can still have some more volatility in markets. Yeah, yeah. But Shane, it also, if China overcomes its lockdown pandemic problems, you know, over 2022, I would have expected that some of the supply chain problems will dissipate as well, which will help the inflation outlook. Is that a fair call? That, that's right. And we still got to bear in mind here that the big driver behind the pickup in inflation has been supply related. 
I mean, there's a demand element in there as well, very tight labour markets in Australia and the US, obviously putting pressure on wages, retail sales figures the other day in Australia up 9% on a year ago, very, very strong. So there is a demand element to it, but a big chunk of it is supply related. And if some of those supply worries go away, maybe it doesn't go completely away in regards to commodities in Ukraine, but if it goes away in regards to the pandemic, if China gets its situation under control, which I think history tells us they probably will, they're not going to want to stay in lockdown indefinitely. And if that's the case, then you get more people going back to work in the factories, the bottlenecks in China start to correct themselves. And again, that takes some pressure off inflation later this year. And this doesn't necessarily mean we go back to the inflation rates we had prior, prior to the pandemic. I, I don't think the world, the world was different. No. Globalisation is in reverse. Labour market is a lot tighter. But we probably do see lower inflation than the one we've got now. Okay. Now, this is the cruncher then. Given the fact that you think the, these are all possibilities, not probabilities, but possibilities. So that means by, by let's say, the December, start of the December quarter, the, the view on how bad inflation is going to be could be a lot less. Would that then mean that the, the outlook for interest rate rises in the US could be peeled back? Like A, the number of rises and the pace at which those rises happen. If that happens then, would that then be a good scenario for A, buying the stock market again and probably even help the tech companies? Because we've seen every time news gets better, they do buy tech companies, but they need to seem, I think, seem to to believe that the worst of this interest rate scenario could be uh, uh, reduced. And as a consequence, you then look at the discounted value of these tech stocks, oh, they're going too far, let's buy, buy some of these tech stocks. Is that a, a, a too far out there scenario? <laughs> well, it's possible. I, I don't know whether I'd push the tech one too far, but for the broader market, yeah, we could come to a period later this year where investors say, well, you know, we factored in the worst in terms of interest rate hikes. It may not be as bad as that. I was looking at the numbers this morning. And even for Australia, the money market seems to be thinking the cash rate by the end of this year will be 3%, which seems to me a bit too far, yeah. given where household debt levels are. And likewise, for the US, it was a little bit around that sort of number. But again, it just seems a little bit too far to me. So I, I kind of think that we will go through a phase where investors say, these worries about interest rates have gone on for a bit too long. We've gone a bit too far. Likewise, the pickup in bond yields has gone a little bit mm. too far. And that may cause or drive a bit of a relief rally for the tech stocks mm. um, from later this year. I, I don't yeah. know in a bigger picture, longer sense, how sustainable that will be for tech stocks, though, because the other worry is that they've, they've benefited so much over many, many years from lower inflation, ever lower interest rates, ever lower bond yields that cycle now seems to be reversing somewhat mm. uh, for them. And therefore, you know, the tech stocks may not go back to being the market darlings they once were, but they could certainly see a bit of a rally later this year. And therefore, that would be positive for the overall market, um, both in Australia and the US. Yeah, I'm not arguing that, that any of these tech stocks go back to where they were, but it just seems to me that they've been excessively belted up on possibly excessive fears around interest rates and if they, are, if they are excessive it's not another thing and you've noticed that i've noticed that you know every time there is a feeling of good news in the us nasdaq does a lot better than you'd expect that's true that's there's no doubt about that 
I think even overnight, the uh, the S&P 500 was up 3%. NASDAQ was up a little bit more than that. So it's it's yeah, it's typically the case that NASDAQ does better, probably because it's been the one that's beaten down the most. Um, NASDAQ, tech stocks generally, uh, the ARK ETF, you know, these, these have had a really, really hard ride. Mm. And likewise, when you look at investor sentiment, you know, there's a measure called the American Association of Individual Investors, where they survey individual investors, I think on a weekly basis, it's about as low as it ever goes. Mm. Um, and so if things look a little bit better, and we've still got an environment where recession is not happening, uh, or not on the cards just yet, and earnings are still good, and, and the earnings numbers have been pretty good. Don't forget, at the, yeah. the start of the US reporting season, which is now almost over We're, we've seen about 80 percent of companies report so far so it's almost over the start of the reporting season three or four weeks ago the market expected earnings growth at 4.3 percent the end of the march quarter um, as of overnight that number has now been revised up to plus 10 percent. so that's six percentage points greater than expected and it's probably going to end up with earnings growth at around 11 percent. and that's not as strong as it has been it doesn't underpin huge double digit gains in the u.s share market but it mm. is providing a good underpinning for the u.s share market okay Last question, and I always like to make you um, confront that sort of personal anxiety question, you know, where a loved one, a son, a nephew, an auntie, an uncle, a parent says to you, Shane, you're the expert. Should I stay in the stock market? Do you think the market's going to go up? Will we be better off at the end of the year than we are today? What are you going to say? Look, I, I would say, stay in the market. I'm not qualified to give advice, uh, but this is my best yeah, educated this isn't, view. This isn't financial advice, and I don't know, I'm not talking to anyone specifically, but as, as a general view, I think markets will probably rally into year end, trying to time where the bottom is, like in the next six months, I still remain, or next three months rather, I, I remain pretty uncertain, and you often see volatility up until the US midterm elections in midterm election years. So we could still see more volatility in the short term, but trouble is trying to time all of that I think is going to be very difficult. It's a bit like trying to time the, the bottom of the markets at the pandemic low, which turned out to be on or around March the 23rd in 2020. Really, really hard to get that right. But I think mm. the broader view, in my view, the broader thing to ask yourself is, do you think there's really going to be a recession in the US or globally or in Australia? I think the answer to that is no. There may be in, I don't know, eight months time or 2024, but that's that's a long way away. That's too far yeah, away for the market totally. to factor in just yet. The market usually only leads recessions by six months. So if you come to the view that a recession is likely to be avoided, and I think it will be, I don't think monetary policy will be tightened enough to bring on a recession. It might slow things down, but it won't bring on a recession. Therefore, you'd have to say, well, ultimately, the trend is probably still up in markets. And therefore, given the difficulties in trying to time short-term moves, and we could see more volatility in the short term, it's better to hang in there rather than uh, you know, try and get out now and then get in later. You probably end up uh, missing out on the rebound. Shane Oliver, thanks for your insights. Thanks, Peter. Take care. Same to you. Well, a lot of people are worried about where interest rates might go and what might happen to house prices. Some people want house prices to fall so they can buy. Other people want their values to remain the same. Uh, we're, we're talking to Neil Connersby from Ray White. You're the chief economist there. Do uh, you think people are panicking too much? 
Yeah, look, I, I think, look, I don't know if they are panicking. Mm -hmm. I, I think certainly the media is, is, is saying they are. Mm -hmm. And um, as a result, I think there is a perception that things are, are looking far worse than they, they really are. Yeah. Uh, we were, I think a lot of people are very prepared for rate rises. We have heard discussion about the potential for four or five months now. Uh, people have been told to fix rates if, if they do have mortgages. Uh, and we've all even seen prices pull back from about the start of the year in, in many places, particularly Sydney and Melbourne, off the back of it. Yeah. Where have been the biggest pullbacks in price so far? It's mainly Sydney. So Sydney is a very sensitive market to interest rate talk mm. because people are so indebted. Mm. Uh, it's also It was also moving very quickly. I mean, the, the level of increase we saw in Sydney was, you know, 40, 50% increase over, over the pandemic time period. So uh, it had Crazy. to slow, <laughs> slow down at some point. I can't keep moving at that rate. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as a result, I, you know, I think that um, it, it was a, a time for, for the cycle, a new cycle to begin and, and it certainly is at the moment. Yeah. Well, Nerida, a lot of our economist buddies are making big and bold predictions about how many interest rate rises we'll see. What's your best guess? Yeah, I guess the two and a half percent by the end of the year isn't, you know, is is possible. That you know, we don't we don't know exactly. A cash rate of two and a half percent, but potentially, you know, yeah. we, we, if you look back ten years ago, the cash rate was well over four percent. So, yeah. uh, it's not going to get back up to that level, I don't think. I mean, it's interesting looking at a lot of the US coverage now. They just had a half a percent rise, and people are now talking about a twenty twenty three cut in rates. So, yeah. you know, I think this year it's all about rising rates. Next year, I think mm. inflation will be tamed and as a result, we'll start to see them cutting again. It's it's part of the cycle that yeah. always happens. Do you think the June quarter inflation number will be bigger than March or could it be a little bit less? Could be less. I mean, the fuel excise is being cut, so the, so that would have an impact. Yeah. The the biggest component of inflation was fuels, so the eleven percent rise mm. over over the March, uh, well over the twelve months to mm. March. So that will come back for sure. Mm. Uh, we're continuing to see a lot of challenges with construction costs, and you know that isn't unlikely to be resolved anytime soon. Supply chains are blocked. We've got problems with labour force. There's a lot of construction companies going out of business, so that has flow on to the availability of, of construction workers. So, you know, I think, I think this is the thing at the moment is that uh, it, it's very hard to stop a lot of the problems that have led to very sharp inflation mm. and this interest rate rise and any potential this year will slow activity, but it won't fix the problems that we're facing at mm. the moment. You, you work for a real estate group and is it, is it easier to sell homes when prices are on the rise or, do, does it, or doesn't it matter? Look, I, I guess there's more homes for sale when yeah. prices are on the rise. People yeah. do feel like it's a good time to sell. At the moment, what we are seeing is a big drop off in the number of properties available. So it's not a, it's not a bad sign. You know, I think uh, at, you know, at the moment in New Zealand, for example, we're starting to see a very big increase in properties for sale. So that does suggest an element of perhaps distress or people you know, really seeing mm. the future as being very negative. Here in Australia, we're, mm. we're seeing a reduction. So sellers are holding back. Uh, buyers are in a better position because prices have come back, but at the same time, it's getting really hard to find quality stock. So yeah, it, it's, it's a better time for buyers if they can find a property for yeah. sale. Do, do you think that what lenders have been putting borrowers through in terms of putting, working out the buffer on what they can tolerate in terms of interest rate rises uh, will actually protect us for some time from a 
a serious housing, housing collapse? Look, I think so. I mean, we, we are talking about uh, rate rises this, this year of, you know, potentially, or, you know, potentially getting to a 2.5% cash rate. The buffer has been about 2.5%. So, mm. you know, people have been assessed on the fact that they can pay off mm. uh, a, a mortgage at that rate. Uh, we're also in a, a very strong economic position. So for now, it is pretty easy to get a job. People yeah. are getting, you know, some people are getting wage rises. Mm. Uh, we've also seen growth in the economy. So, you know, I think on one hand, interest rates are rising, prices are rising, household budgets are stretched, but at the same time, people are employed. And as long as they stay employed, then it, it does tend to, to balance things out. Yeah. Have, have you worked out whether the property market responds to a Labor government, a, a Labor <laughs> victory in a poll compared to a coalition? Yeah, it, you know, it's so interesting. I mean, it, it does depend on the policies mm. that have been put in place. Yeah. So it's not that simplistic. I know yeah. certainly last election, mm. it was all about negative gearing and it was all yeah. about uh, investors. Investors were the, the bad house guys. The took off after that election, <laughs> they did. didn't they? They did take off. And, and what we saw prior to that election is that buy, um, sellers pulled back. So, you yeah. know, there was a lot of sensitivity around what would happen. Mm. Uh, this time around, they're not really, ta they're talking housing in terms of first time buyers. So they're, mm. they're the target group. Mm. Uh, in terms of what it will mean for the housing market, you know, I, I don't think it will, ha I don't think people are thinking of the housing market as much this election as they were last what time. What about the uh, Labor's offer to make it easy for 10,000 people? To get into the market and share property ownership with <laughs> the forty yeah. percent. I know think? it's an interesting one. I, I I know. Look, we know there's an affordability problem in mm. Australia. Houses are too expensive. It's very very hard yeah. to get into the market. So you know we no, have we, to, we have supply. to do something. We have to mm. do something. Supply is an issue. Mm. Uh, in terms mm. of the policy, uh, we, we've we've seen what's happened in the UK that people do, people like it. You know, mm. they like to get in. They like to buy a house for a cheaper price. But the mm. problems start to happen with the red tape. So. Um, there's a lot of problems, if, you know, if your income goes up and they want you to pay more on the mortgage, people um, in the UK, they've mm. had to pay stamp duty, they've had to pay legal costs. And so kind of every step of the way, there is, are these complications, a lot of red tape. So it sounds too good to be true. <laughs> And it turns out it is too good to do, but they still get into, into your property. They get into the property. And I think the other challenge too is at the end. I think, you know, when you go in as a first home buyer and you're saying, well, you can have half, you, you can pay for half my property. I'm really happy. Mm -hmm. But at the end, when you sell the property and it's worth, you know, t after 10 years, it's probably gone up from 750 to 1.5 and you're having to give 750 back to the government. I think mm -hmm. at that point is when people start to find it a little bit um, not very not very appealing but obviously yeah. that's 10 years from now so that, that's a future get, problem. Get, it can get messy if there's a divorce in between totally. or, or even the death you know all those yes. sorts of things make it really really tricky. Um, um, if you had to do your best guess on what's going to happen to house prices I know Chris Joy's put a Sensational call that the value of house prices will fall by $1.5 trillion. Oh, right. Sounds like something Dr. Evil would say. <laughs> trillion. It's a nice way to put it. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't want you to guess on that, but what, what do you think, say, Sydney and Melbourne's, because their prices move fairly similar, but different, different magnitudes, but what kind of price falls are you expecting over the next couple of years? Yeah, well, well this year will be the price for a year. You know, yeah. I don't think, I think next year is looking completely different, particularly yeah. if then, you know, rates start being cut again. Yeah. Uh, this year we've already seen them fall by about 3%. 
so I, you know, I think the most common, or you know, we always have the most popular forecasts that yeah. are out there, and I think the most popular at the moment is a 10% fall. Uh, which, which is a lot, you know, it's, it's quite substantial, but um, the reality is it would only take us back to last year. Yeah. So, you know, it would only be taking us back to mid last year or, you know, even later last year. So, you know, I, I think in terms of people that have bought over the two years, the majority of people that have bought over the two years will have done very well through yeah. this cycle. Mm. I, you know, I don't know what the 1.5 trillion is transferred to in terms of percentage decline, yeah, yeah. but, you know, I, I, yeah, it's, it, you know, I, I think we, we do have to recognise that prices have gone up 30% over a two-year time period. At the start of the pandemic, the most common call was for a 30% decline. So, yeah. you know, I think that shows it's very hard to, hard to predict. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this growth had to end. You know, we, we know it had to end. We can't see markets moving that quickly. And, mm. you know, a bit of a correction is, is probably in place. And, and it'll be felt different where it, depending on where you are, but mm. it is likely that Melbourne and Sydney will be most impacted. Okay, one last question. If you looked at, say, Sydney, what kind of suburbs are going to experience the worst kind of, or the biggest um, sell-offs? And yeah. which ones will be the most resistant? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, we, through the pandemic, the, the markets we saw the biggest, or the markets that didn't do well were uh, unit markets, mm. predominantly ones that were located near CBDs and near universities. So I think they'll recover. You know, mm. I think probably better times ahead for them. Um, beyond that, um, you know, I, I don't know, like, you know, if we have a look at the most expensive property in Sydney, I, I think that will be impacted. Yeah. They're not so not so sensitive to interest rates, but they are sensitive to sentiment. Mm. And so, you know, I think that will be a bit, a bit of a drawback. Mm. And, you know, and then beyond that, you know, we, we typically, we're already seeing a bigger fall in, in units more broadly, which, you know, the unit markets, you know, at a Sydney level do yeah. tend to be a little bit weaker. But, um, you know, I think beyond that, it's going to be a fairly... So there will be spread. buying opportunities. For, yeah, for there'll be who, buying who opportunities. missed out on auction over the last year. Could have probably bought, but couldn't pay the excessive price. That market might come back to them. Yeah, absolutely, and, and and I think you know again coming back to a slower market not being a, a bad market that we know that first it's better for first home buyers, it's better for upgraders. We most we know most sellers are subsequent buyers, so you know a slower market does leave let people gives people a lot more time to make decisions. So you know I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing, but it, it's certainly a, a, a change compared to where we were over the last two years. Okay. That's Nerida Consby from Ray White. Well, recently we've seen the ANZ and NAB um, report uh, their, their latest performance figures. And it comes at a time when a lot of people are asking myself and Paul, is it um, too late to buy the banks uh, going forward? And so a perfect time to ask you exactly that question, Paul. Do you think it's too late to buy the banks? I don't think it's too late, Peter, but I think the best, most of the runners behind them. Mm. Uh, and sure, they're, they're going to win from higher interest rates. Now, we all know that that's uh, going to increase, uh, effectively allow them to uh, improve their so-called net interest margin. And the reason for that, Peter, is very simple. They have lots of deposits that uh, effectively they pay no interest on or 0.01%, and those rates never move. Yeah. So when everything goes up and they're allowed to put their lending rates up, yeah. the deposit cost stays the same, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what's called and the net interest margin, the difference between your, your, what you're lending at versus what you're paying your deposits increases. Yeah. 
in fairness to the banks, Peter, they've been doing it really tough the last three years because the net interest margins have been coming down. Yeah. Uh, and now it's time for it to go up, so that'll improve profitability. But what people have got to be careful of is that ultimately um, higher interest rates, they slow the economy down, yeah. potentially, they, so they slow borrowing demand down, which makes volume growth harder. And then in the longer term, if they stay high for long term, is that borrowers find it harder to repay. And the banks have been huge winners out of effectively over-providing in COVID-19 mm. and writing it back. So even yesterday, um, ANZ reported negative bad debts. In other words, no bad debts. Yeah. That's because they're writing back. Yeah. So they made really big provisions when the, the pandemic hit, thinking, do you know what would hit the fan? It hasn't because of JobKeeper and all the other government support things. And so they've effectively written those potential losses back and comes as a, as a positive to their bottom line. Yeah, and I think, I think today National Australia Bank's total bad debts was $2 million, right? <laughs> now, normally it'd be three or $400 million, yeah, right? Yeah. Roughly, you know? So they're, they're still in that phase. And so while in the short term, they'll do better out of higher interest rates. If interest rates stay too high for too long yeah. or the RBA gets too aggressive and or the economy slows too bad, too much, that's ultimately bad for banks. So okay. I think you'll be a little bit, to answer your question, I think there's still a bit more in them. Yeah. But I'd say that we saw National Australia Bank down, just to give you, to get some context mm. here, was at $14 uh, in uh, March of 2020, right? Yeah. After COVID-19, and today it's $32, yeah. right? So the best of the gain, I don't think they get another get another $18 yeah. on them. So I, people I should be thinking single-digit gains, probably. Single-digit gains, and mainly because they are struggling still to grow revenue, and that's still their fundamental yeah. problem. And they've given up a lot of business, haven't they? They've become old-fashioned bankers, in a sense. Well, they've got so risk-averse, Peter. They're all um, you know, following the, the beating they got through the Royal Commission and Oztrack and everything else. They've really narrowed their activities. Uh, and so they are, they are still challenged to actually grow volumes mm. and grow revenue. If someone bought all four banks purely for dividends and in franking credits, what would they get approximately? Well, those yields are falling. In, no, sorry, not, those yields are still relatively attractive, but as interest rates go up, they become less attractive. Mm. So, uh, you know, National Australia Bank today declared a 73 cent dividend. Uh, so double that, annualise that for the year, it's 144 cents. It's getting up there towards uh, 5%. Mm. ANZ's about the same. Uh, CBA's about 4% and we'll find out Westpac on Monday. So yeah. look, they're fully framed. So, so around the four to five is still getting yeah, banks but, plus franking credits. But they're not as attractive. You know, it was only six months ago you got nothing on a term deposit. Well, now you can get almost 2% for a year. So mm. yeah, it's riskless. Yeah. You know, so um, their relative attractiveness is starting to decrease as interest rates go up. Okay. Um, Macquarie, it uh, reports tomorrow. Macquarie's a very different bank. It, it really is an investment bank, and you're buying growth there for Macquarie. Also, you get a good dividend too. Yeah. But Macquarie is growing revenue, growing its business. It's mm. now more than... Can you keep doing it, Paul? Well, it's more than half its business is now offshore, so yeah. it's, it's, it's sort of left Australia. I mean, um, it does keep... Reinventing itself, Peter. Yeah. Um, so uh, one of the best stocks to buy on a dip. They've, they've, they've bounced back all the time. Everyone. Well, if you look at the two great Australian or three great Australian success stories of the last couple of decades, one mm. is CSL. Yeah. One is Macquarie, and I guess you probably put Atlassian 
uh, yeah. up there as a third, yeah. right? Yeah. But uh, in sort of great Australian companies that have really made Shot it big, lights, big yeah. time, right? Mm. And they're, they're the, probably the three I dominate. So Macquarie's right up there, right? Yeah. And that doesn't mean I like this what Macquarie does everywhere, right? Yeah. But uh, I'm talking about it as an interest of a shareholder. Yeah. Uh, so they're the, th they're the three I'd probably put up in that category. All right. And they are, and, and they have, have okay. managed to keep doing it. Yeah, you know, some people watching would say, but you know, there's the old um, saying from Buffett, be greedy when other people are uh, fearful. Should they be fearful of ANZ and Westpac? Because if these companies turn themselves around, they've got the, more, the bigger potential upside. Because NAB and CV have lived up to their expectations, the other two have yeah. lagged. So ANZ and Westpac are cheaper. Right. Uh, ANZ for good reason, because it's still learning how to process a loan mortgage and it's been in business. Don't be nasty. No, don't be nasty, because yesterday they almost were like celebrating the fact that, hey, we can now process a loan at the same speed as everyone okay. else. Well, that's really something to celebrate, guys. What have you been doing for 100 years, right? right. You know, like they are. We can scratch ANZ as a sponsor of well, this program. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, 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 maybe they've got a new banking platform called ANZ Plus, and yeah. we haven't seen how that works. And uh, yeah, maybe they've spent a lot of money on it. It's all been done in-house or yeah. largely done in-house, and maybe that'll be the saviour of ANZ because uh, that'll mm -hmm. allow them to actually you know, take process a Process loans quickly. The process the loans forward and, and, and come ahead. But that's let's see how they go. But. Yeah. Um, I think there's got to be some changes at ANZ. Uh, Westpac, still an unknown quantity, Peter, still going through all the compliance stuff that uh, from the financial crimes and all the rest of the stuff that mm. uh, they went through. Uh, again, question marks around about the team. The two banks going somewhere, CBA, it's the best, it has been the best for a decade, remains the best, mm. but NAB is making the most progress and that's why its share price has done the best yep. in the last 12 months. And I thought they reported pretty strongly today. So mm. that's been a turnaround story. Ross McEwen, he's been there about three years. He's uh, probably, you know, he's doing a good job. So Monday we see Westpac, right? So for Monday's TV show, You'll be able to oh, say whether you think yeah, it's in the right rate, direction or still going Yeah, write the three banks. Let's hope Westpac can do better, Peter. I mean, yeah. it's it's um, you know, it's a uh, it's a hard one to read because uh, you know when you get sort of all the regulators come at you and you've got to do so much fixing up and you go. It costs and, money, doesn't it? It costs a lot of money. A lot, a lot of management time goes into it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and people go into their shell a little, a little bit, right? Mm. Because they're not able to do what they want to do. And so the legacy of those things is some years uh, to fix up. And, mm. and they're still in the fixed phase. Uh, and, um, you know, have they turned the corner? We don't know yet. So we'll, we'll find out what sort of progress they made on, on Monday. Okay, that's Paul Rickard of the Switch Report. And that was Paul Rickard's view on the banks. Here are the analyst view on screen right now. Uh, you can see there I've got the various banks on the left-hand column. Uh, Westpac, uh, the average rise is 2.6% looking at the analysts, but the most positive can see a 20.73% rise. That's City. UBS sees a 12.4% rise for Westpac. You've got ANZ, 8.7%. That's the average gain, but the most positive analyst is City, up 14% or so. Credit Suisse, up 14% or so as well. NAB, which has done really well, much better than ANZ and Westpac in recent uh, months and, and years, uh, only a 2.1% gain. Morgan's can see a 5.6% gain and Albanets a 4.1%. Now, CBA that's shot the lights out, being a much better bank than the whole lot of them. The analysts think that it's got more downside than upside, minus 10.8%. Morgan's are the most negative, down 25.3%. And Macquarie, down 13.9%. That's the price of being the most successful. Uh, it be interesting to see whether these guys actually get it right. I find when the banks go up in, in price, CBA often leads the way. 
might go up by less, but certainly uh, when banks rise, CBA tends to do pretty well. Anyway, that's what the so-called experts think. That's the show for tonight, by the way. Thanks for joining us. If you need any more information about stocks you might want to invest in or dump, have a look at the Switzer Report. Go to switzerreport.com.au. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining us.